Well, thanks, Gus. Hey, good morning. How's it going? Oh, it's so, so good, isn't it, to be here worshipping together this morning. And a special welcome as well if it's your first time here amongst us. Perhaps you're uh, checking us out on the live stream. You're, you're so, so welcome. My name's Tim. Um, I've been in, in Grace Church for about eight years. I lead a co-leader home group that's um, generally part of the evening meeting, and a, a few of you guys are here. It's great to see you. And some fun news, I recently um, got engaged to Rosie, which, yeah, it's been really great, really good fun. Um, it's been a joy. It's my, it's my pleasure this morning to round out our Hebrew series. We're in chapter 13, and we have a passage that is brimming with instruction for the Christian life. But this instruction is not in order to gain God's acceptance or his love or his victory, as we were hearing in the worship. No, that's already accomplished. That's what we've heard in the past 12 chapters of Hebrews over the past year or so. But what we have here is a, is, a, is a chapter on how we can live a life in response to what Jesus has done. So if, if Hebrews is a plane, it is coming into land, and as it does, the pilot gets on the tannoy and quickfire lists off all this instruction as to how we can live. If you ever felt lost in the dizzying heights of Melchizedek in, in chapter 7, well, we are firmly on solid ground this morning with talk of love, sex, and money. You ready? I'm I'm just going to start by praying. Yeah, Jesus, we thank you for this book. We long that you'd be glorified amongst us this morning. Would you speak powerfully and richly through your word? This is all for your glory. We pray in your name. Amen. So if you want to turn to the book of Hebrews, chapter 13, um, verses 1 to 7. says, let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison, as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you are also in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. The author of Hebrews' first instruction for us this morning is to let brotherly love continue. He, his point here is that in the church, that love is to abound. What, what kind of love is it? Is, is brotherly love, fam, family love. The NIV puts it really nicely and it says, keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. It's family love. You see, we can, we can see church as a bit like going to the cinema. And you're, you're in a cinema screen full of people all excited to see the same film. You're all eating the same popcorn, uh, laughing at the same jokes, crying at the same slightly emotional bits right before the ending. And there's, there's almost a sense of, well, everyone else here 
wants to see the same film as me. They have the same taste in the film as me. And as long as no one's like on their phone the whole time, there's a, there's a vague sense of fellowship. I know it's been a while since anyone's been in the cinema. What Hebrews are saying here is that the church is not like that. That we are not a group of people who, who sit in this room, distance, can't really interact, and, and all come to, to, to watch something and then go and live separate lives. Or that we're not a group of people who have a similar taste in worship music, and that's why we're all here. Now, Hebrews is saying here that we are a family. That there is family love between us. That we are a group of people drawn from all sorts of different walks of life, brought together into the family of God. I, I fondly remember a little while ago, we had a meeting on a Thursday here, um, back before, before last year, and it was a wonderful time of encouragement. And one after another, people stood up and pointed across the room. Oh, you see this person here? They did this and they did that. And I just want to encourage you. Thank you for that. Well done. Oh, how, how I love you for doing that. Jesus says that people will know we're his by our love for one another. There is to be a family love between us. It says, let brotherly love continue. I just want to pause on that word, continue, for a moment. It is true in that the church he's writing to aren't just suddenly starting to love each other. They're continuing in that love. But I think it gets us a little bit more. That we are only ever continuing the love of our elder brother, who has loved us first, and we only love because of that. It says in Hebrews chapter 2 that Jesus has welcomed us into his family, and now he is no, that, he, that he is not ashamed to call you his brother or sister. That he is not ashamed to have you in the family. As the church, we're a family. Let brotherly love continue. How does it continue? Let's have a look in verse 2. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you are also in the body. What's going on here is that Christians at the time were often traveling on mission from place to place. And the places they might be able to stay were often unsafe or unsuitable for them to stay in. So the author saying, these Christians who are, who are, who are missionaries who are coming to your areas, show them hospitality, have them in your homes. And other Christians, they were being mistreated and thrown in prison for their faith. And in prisons then, you weren't, you weren't given food and, and clothing to look after you. So the author's saying, we've got to remember those Christians in prison. We can't have them in our homes, so we've got to take food and, and medicine and clothes to them. Hebrews is saying here that the great pool of love that we have enjoyed is to flow out in generous hospitality and giving. That we are to use our, our time and energy and, and resources and, and give of ourselves to others who are in need. And hospitality is, is so powerful, isn't it? I, I know of a number of people in the church who would say that they wouldn't be in the church still. They don't think they would be walking with the Lord in the way they are at the moment if it wasn't for people inviting them into their homes, having them in their lives. 
Hospitality is important and powerful. And I think there's a, there's a unique challenge and opportunity for us at the moment in hospitality. Just to kind of bring you into my own life with this. I found a lot of the last year or so that, I mean, I've been at various points furloughed and, and unemployed and, and now working from home. And because of the restrictions, and I've had to have a certain lifestyle where it's been enforced upon me that a lot of my time and a lot of my, my space is, is just my own and just those who I, who I share my house with. That, uh, that because of the restrictions in our lives at the moment, we are forced into the lifestyle where our time and our, and our space is often very much seen as our own. And we actually can't share a lot of it with people to a large extent. Which reinforces a certain lifestyle in myself that isn't necessarily the kind of lifestyle that I want to live and that matches with Hebrews 13 here. That the habit that I've been in has, has, has changed my desires. And a year ago, I would have loved to be able to have people in my garden. What I would have given to be able to have people um, in, my, in my garden over Easter weekend. But now that I can, it's so much harder than it was before. I don't know about you, maybe you can relate to the, the kind of a weirdness as we get used to and being able to do things again. Our, our habits have, have shaped our desires. That we, 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 and it's harder now. There's a, I mean, hospitality has always been costly, and it will always meet us in that cost. But there's also a great opportunity right now. That we, we are designed to be in community. We, we are made to be known by other people. We all have family and friends and brothers and sisters and neighbors and colleagues, people who uh, are relative strangers who need to be known by other people. Perhaps a, a cup of tea has never been as powerful as it is right now. Who, who could you invite over to your backyard? Who could you offer to go for a walk with? We are to show our love in, in hospitality. And, and just kind of one final note on this. It says we had this peculiar verse, and, it, and it is, I think it is peculiar. Um, people talk about it a bit, like, what could it mean? It says, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. And it's getting at these two brothers in the Old Testament, Abraham and Lot, and they both have angels over to stay in their houses. How, how can we apply this? Well, I think we can say this, that there is often much more going on that is not visible on the surface when we show hospitality. But what to us is just making beans on toast and having a chat with someone, there's often much more going on. There is, there is um, kingdom significance. There is change in people's lives going on underneath the surface. Show hospitality, and, and you don't know what fruit will come from it. So we're to, Hebrews is telling us we're to um, love the church, we're to love those in the body we don't even know. And now it kind of like concentric circles funnels down and addresses deeper um, relationships in our lives. If you want to turn to verse four with me. It says, let marriage be held in honor among all. So the, the author sees marriage as important and wants us to see it's important too, wants us to value marriage, to see it as, as precious um, is the word there. 
Marriage is this union of a, of a man and a woman in lifelong commitment to love and serve one another. What does it mean to honor marriage? I think it can be helpful in thinking about how we honor marriage to think about two ways we can dishonor marriage. One way we can dishonor marriage is by making it an idol in our lives. We make it an idol, we make it an ultimate thing for us. We make it an ultimate thing when we say, if I didn't have this, I, I, I can't live without that. Perhaps you've heard people say of their wedding day, oh, this is when my life really begins. Or I'm not really a full human until I'm married. People might not actually say those words, but that's the kind of thing they might imply. That we, only when we're married is, is there some, some great experience of life. You see, this, this is kind of the narrative of Disney films, where it starts and the first time the couple meet and, and it ends with the success of a wedding. As if, as if, it's as if Jesus wasn't the most fully human person, fully a, a, a live person who's ever walked on this earth and who, who was single all of his life. So we can dishonor marriage by making it an idol, and that, and that affects how we see singleness, and also affects our marriages, because if we make marriage an idol, it puts a weight on our spouse they're not designed to fulfill, and they can't ultimately fulfill. Marriage is more... Um, is not so much a destination than it is a signpost. A signpost to how Jesus loves his church and, and, and loves us. But if, if we flip them around and make it all about marriage as a destination, then it puts a weight what we want to receive from our husband or wife that they can't fulfill. And so, and so a second way we can, we can dishonor marriage is... Is where, is where the passage goes next. He says this. <laughs> Let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. God has designed sex as something that is, is good and a good gift to marriages. It, it's a powerful tool for, for giving yourself to someone else. Sex is a way of, of, of giving ourselves to someone. And sex is the language that says, I am forever and completely yours. And so if we, if we, if we take sex out of that context of marriage, where there is that context of commitment, then it's, it's harmful for us and it's harmful for our marriages. Hebrews is saying... Flee from sexual immorality. If you're single, wait till marriage. Wait, maybe you'll be married. Wait till then. If, if you're married, then, then keep it in your marriage. The, the, Hebrew world, the world that Hebrews was written to at the time, and very much our world as well, says this. Have a closed table. Only have at your table your, uh, your close friends, people who are similar kind of social standing to yourself. Only invite them into your table, but have an open bed. The world at the time, and kind of our world as well, said, have whoever you want in your, in your bed. Sex is just an appetite. But the Bible, Bible comes here. God says, no. Have an open table. Bring in the poor and the oppressed. Bring in the stranger. But have a closed bed. 
let's, let's turn to our, our, our next two verses. So we've looked at how we need to love the church, love our brothers and sisters in the church, and how we are to treat marriage as special. And now it goes on to talk about money and contentment. These are two final verses. It says this, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. And now it says, keep your life free from the love of money. And, and to get this, I want to show you something in chapter 10. Um, it says in chapter 10, for you had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. They joyfully accepted the plundering of their property. They were okay with losing their stuff. And still they need to have this warning, this instruction in chapter 13. Keep yourself free from the love of money. If they needed to hear that, with, then how much more do we need to hear it too? With our relative lack of, of being plundered and our relative abundance of wealth, we are to keep ourselves free from the heart-dulling, joy-sapping thing, that bog that is love for money. It says, keep yourself free from love and money and be content with what you have. If, if you're honest with yourself, do you think that you'd be happier if you had more money? If that is the case for us, then no greater amount of money will lead us to contentment. Money isn't designed to fulfill us like that. And what we actually have is a contentment issue. It's the lie that the world sells, but no greater amount of money will make you content. There'll never be, oh, I, I get this, and oh, now I'm happy. So how, how are we to do all this? How, how can we be content? How can we love our brothers and sisters in the church? How can we honor marriage and, and know the love of Jesus and, and flee from sexual immorality? How can we do all this? We have a, a duel here at the end of verse 5. We can do all this for knowing this. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. These are words for you, my brothers and sisters, this morning. He will never leave you nor forsake you. The, the Lord of the universe, the one who holds every atom in place, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, he will never leave you nor forsake you. It's not like, you know, sometimes you're in a room with someone and they're there physically, but they've checked out, they're on their phone, they're not really paying attention. He's not like that. He will never leave you, but also he will never forsake you. He never checks out, he's never asleep. The Psalms say he never slumbers nor sleeps. He will never leave you nor forsake you. What is it that you need to know this in this morning? How is it that you are tempted to 
Um, use your money for, for your own gain and security. What is the fear of the future? Do you need to hear these words? And well, I encourage you to, to not to hold this truth at arm's length, but to hold it close. You can know contentment in a, contentment in a storm with this. We, we, we ask for peace from God, which is a good thing to do, but he not so much gives us some abstract thing called peace. No, he is the God of peace who gives us himself and says, I won't leave you, nor will I forsake you. And so we can know peace. I'm sure for many of us, it has been for myself. And in the past year, there's been times of everything being thrown up in the air. I know the time last year, um, losing my job and lots of aspects of my life seem to fall apart just sitting before the Lord and expressing how I felt. And it wasn't that my circumstances changed in the moment, but just knowing that here he is, he's good. He's the Lord. He's not going to leave me. He's not going to forsake me. So I can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. Well, yes, he can mistreat me. Yes, he can throw me in prison but I've still got the Lord with me. Jesus is still mine. He's still my treasure. Do you know that this is his desire as well? Have you, have you heard how he speaks about you in John 17, where he speaks to his father and says, it is my desire that they would be with me always. And that his desire is true and that he will never leave you, nor will he forsake you. Jesus is better. Why? Well, one of the reasons why is because he is with you. We've, we've heard in this, in this passage this morning how we are to love um, the brothers and sisters in the church, how we are to give ourselves in, in hospitality, how we are to honor marriage, how we are to keep ourselves free from money. But all this is because we know and have the one with us who has loved us with a brotherly love since before the beginning, who is our ultimate older brother, who, while we were strangers, took us to himself and opened up his table to us. Who is the true bridegroom who says, give me all your mess and says, all I have is yours. And who is the jewel beyond price? Jesus is better. He will not leave you nor forsake you. He will not leave us nor forsake us. He is with us as the church. He will not leave Grace Church. Hallelujah. Chris and the band, can I head up?